Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.03 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 20th of October, 2020. This is episode 305 of Bitcoin, and it's going to be brought to you by spending-bitcoin.com. No, they're not a sponsor. They don't even know I'm doing it, but I, every once in a while, I run across something, and it, I feel the need to basically tell you all about it, because if I don't, I don't know. I just like it. I don't like the, the risk of, of, you know, good Bitcoin companies going dark like Room 77, which we'll get to. Um, I Clearly, I talked about it on yesterday's show, but there's a little bit of updating as to the reasoning why the closure of 77. But before that, let's talk about spending-bitcoin.com. The hyphen is actually the physical dash that you put in between words. It's an older format for uh, web addresses, but, you know, it checks out and all that. What is it? Well, it's a repository of stores. In this case, there are a there are 1,176 online stores where you can spend your Bitcoin if you so choose. If you would like to part yourself with some some satoshis, then this is the place to go find out. You know where to go do it at, or one of the places. Clearly, it's not the only place. However, they have a nice little uh, nice little setup here on their website. Again, that's spending-bitcoin.com. Categories you can go to. Well, it's it's a shame that uh, adult stuff starts with the with the letter A because it makes it look like it possibly is just nothing but a porn store, but it's not. The but there is an adult category, but there's also art, body health, Bitcoin hardware, books, bullion, charity, clothing, cold storage, debit cards, electronics, email, food, gambling, gaming, gift cards, hardware wallets. That should probably be under Bitcoin hardware. Well, maybe this is like, okay, maybe Bitcoin hardware is just Bitcoin only. Who knows? We'll find out here in a minute. Home and living hosting, jewelry, merchandise, other physical Bitcoin uh, services, sports and outdoor supplements, traveling and VPN services. So let's go over to, I don't know, let's look, let's look at the Bitcoin hardware uh, thing. And what we, oh, what we got here? We got miners.nl, the fastest and best miner supplier in Europe. So apparently you can buy miners in Europe. Uh, there's Decentral, there's Luxnode. Uh, let's see, was it? Your node is your Bitcoin. So apparently they're selling nodes, node stuff. Uh, oh, Crypto Cloaks. Yeah, we all know and, and love the guys over at Crypto Cloaks. 3D printer go burr. Uh, we got Mine Shop, Stake Box, the Casa Store, Nodal. Uh, there's actually a fair amount. My node is all the way down at the bottom. So there's that. Um, let's go. Let's see what they have. Let's do supplements. Supplements are always fun. Cheap sleeping pills over at, over there at cheapsleepingpills.com. Let's see if they at, let's see if I can actually get there and see if they uh let's see. Uh no, no, it's a little bit harder to get there. Oh, visit page button. Yeah, it should just link directly through the the thing, but whatever. Okay. Uh oh, yep. Right there at the top. 
of CheapSleepingPills.com. On the right-hand side is Get Free Pills, click to learn how, and then there's a Bitcoin symbol. Okay, okay. Actually, so I'm just going to go ahead and buy some uh, Zoploclone. And let's see, we'll go to proceed to checkout and see if there's a Bitcoin button here. Uh, oh, once, oh, before I can even get to the checkout, it wants me to go and put in all my information, which I'm not going to do just to find out. But you get the drift. There's at least some people out there that are trying to <clears throat> um, curate stores where uh, you can go spend your Bitcoin if you want to. Uh, Kickstart the circular economy. This is one way to do it, definitely. Now, moving into some fair, a fair amount of cringe here. The Filecoin saga. The Filecoin continues its march directly to hell, does not seem to be passing go, does not seem to want to go, you know, a pause to go to jail, just really just doesn't give a shit. Seems to just be trucking it on down <clears throat> all the way to where <clears throat> Satan lives. Let's see, where is it at right now? I was looking at it earlier. God, 32 bucks. 32 bucks straight up. It had a dead cap, dead cap bounce up to 56. What? Oh, I don't know. Around 11 o'clock p.m. my time. Oh, no, it's probably like 11 o'clock UTC. Nope, nope, 11 o'clock my time. Uh, it looks like it bounced up to about, uh, yeah, like 56 bucks, 55 bucks. And it just came all the way back down to 32. So <clears throat> I wonder what could possibly have happened. Because let's see, that was 11. Let's see, it had that. No, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah, it at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning is when it hit its high. So yeah, okay. But something happened. Crypto Chris G, at Crypto Chris G, uh, has a fairly long tweet thread. I am not going to read it because it is really long and it's not what crypto Christie is talking about. I, we're not sure yet. Okay. Let's, well, you'll understand here in a second. <clears throat> this was written clearly yesterday at about 1130 PM. He says, this is going to get a lot of attention once somebody translates this. And this is a link to a web page written entirely in Chinese characters. So yeah, it's going to have to be translated. Um, he goes on and says, Phil testnet coins moved onto exchanges and were sold. Let me repeat that. Okay. Filecoin testnet coins moved to exchanges and were sold. Testnet coins. Specifically, file filecoin testnet coins were actually sold. Okay, Gate and Huobi seem to be the biggest. Binance and Poloniex had limited exposure. Basically, miners dumped their testnet coins, crashing the price. Then complained they should change the locking schedule <clears throat> since more supply was on the market. Filecoin had to accept the miners' proposals, and 25% immediately unlocked. So how did the testnet coins become real? Was there a code bug? Could it have been the team deliberately doing so to force early unlocking? Filecoin hasn't spoken out yet. Was it a Filecoin developer or a miner team who found out that FIL could be sent to at or to Gate.io? Was it Gate's code flaw? What about the person informing colleagues and friends in their right circle? 
miners sent large amounts of testnet coins to hate and sold them 11 p.m. October the 15th. Price fell 180 to 50. Then Huobi and Binance bring fill online price jumps to 400. So they sold more into new market back down to to 50. All right, so that's all I'm going to read of that. But it, what it looks like what's happened here is that testnet coins from Filenet or the Filecoin uh, network were sold as actual Filecoin. So if that's true, then there would and there if that's true and it was sold because there's no way to differentiate internally between your testnet coin and your Filecoin, you have bigger problems. If this turns out to be true, then, well, I don't know what to tell you. It's not like the maximalists haven't been screaming in your ear for years to not get into this shit, yet people always get into this shit and they always get wrecked. And, but I've never seen wreckage like this before. I've never seen a situation where, where testnet coins were sold as the actual thing. I'm you know, not saying that it hasn't ever happened, but at least mainstream. I've never seen it happen. I've been around since 2015. Dude, never seen this shit before. That's as dangerous as it gets, being able to unload your testnet coins as if they were real on actual exchanges. If that's true, then there's no way to differentiate between the testnet coin and the real thing. Man, you want to talk about some... That's some, that's some shit coinery right there. That's, that's almost award-worthy shit coinery. But... Let's let's move on into the news as central banks peruse or rather pursue digital currencies. Bitcoin stands to benefit, of course. Nick Chong writing this for BTC Times sometime early this morning. Many of the world's foremost central banks are signaling that the monetary world is about to undergo a dramatic overhaul. Oh, you betcha it is. At the core of this. Central bank digital currencies, government-sanctioned digital assets that will theoretically allow an expansion of monetary policy and encroachment on privacy. Analysts say that a world where this system is widely implemented will aid growth in the adoption of Bitcoin. If governments are given more flexibility over the monetary system, holding Bitcoin gives one the ability to opt out. Damn, skippy, bro. The International Monetary Fund held a seminar on Monday morning convening some of the world's monetary leaders to discuss CBDC. <clears throat> Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, said that the U.S. is still exploring the benefits and risks to a CBDC. He did note that there would be many benefits, such as faster and cheaper payments, the ability to bank the unbanked, and to more easily adjust monetary policy. Not going to bank the unbanked, dude. That's, no, you're not going to do, you don't give a shit, I guarantee it. The head of the Bank for International Settlements, BIS, or Augustine Carstens, <clears throat> the big guy, also touted the benefits of CBDCs. The BIS is known as the Central Bank for Central Banks. Carstens said that the implementation of central bank digital currencies would allow the issuer to control and track the use of the currency. This control could theoretically enable both on a monetary and crime front. This seminar came hot on the heels of a call by IMF Chairwoman Kristalina Georgieva for a new Bretton Woods moment. Bretton Woods was the 1944 agreement that set the world monetary standard, pegging top currencies to the United States dollar, which in turn was tied to gold reserves. Georgieva's letter lacked any specific measures, but the use of the term digitization and the allusion to Bretton Woods meeting of 1944 
suggested to some of the to some that CBDCs were just around the corner. If movement from the central banks of China and the European Union, Spain, and other countries are anything to go by, this is likely the case. And this is good for Bitcoin. Raul Paul, CEO of Real Vision, stop scaring Raul Paul, please, and a former Goldman Sachs hedge fund chief says that the push towards CBDCs is decisively bullish for Bitcoin. He highlighted the power that a nationally installed digital currency will give to monetary authorities and tax authorities. Quote, they allow the central banks to circumvent the banking and fiscal system and give or take money, tax or transfer payments, directly. That completely changes monetary versus fiscal policy forever. Central banks will now be able to manage fiscal policy outside of government balance sheets. Powell added that CBDCs would also allow economies to move away from a reliance on the U.S. dollar, which has been the undisputed standard for decades. If this results in a decline in the U.S. dollar, Bitcoin will likely rally as the world's assets are are denominated in USD. However, central bank digital currencies play out. The inevitable, the Real Vision CEO sees is further debasement of the entire fiat currency system. Quote, fiat globally will be worth less versus hard assets. And that means that gold and in particular Bitcoin will become the way to circumvent the system of ever lower value. It also creates incentive system for other nations to opt into a hard currency system to attract capital, end quote. Bitcoin's 21 million supply cap is its disinflationary supply schedule will allow it to appreciate over fiat currencies over time, whereas fiat is debased, Bitcoin becomes increasingly scarce. That's not to say that Bitcoin is infallible. Pal expects central banks to suppress the asset, much like they suppress gold, but he doesn't expect this to work as Bitcoin's intrinsic value grows and as infrastructure around the space strengthens, whether inspired by today's seminar or by coincidence, <clears throat> Bitcoin itself has surged in recent hours, jumping from 11,500 to 11,800. Thank you, Nick Chong, writing for BTC Times. Now, moving on, proposal to make it easier to vote on Uniswap's future fails. Gee, I wonder why. Oh, I know why. Uh, it failed because it's too difficult to achieve a quorum on Uniswap which was what the frickin' vote was about for anyway, to make it easier to get a quorum, and they couldn't get a quorum, to make it less difficult to get a quorum because it was too difficult to get a quorum. Do you see a pattern here? If you remember the way that Yams committed suicide was literally in the exact same way. They needed a quorum to get into the yams contract so that they could stop the printing of more yams. But because it was printing yams uncontrollably, there wasn't enough yam holders to ever get a quorum. So yams committed suicide because you couldn't get a quorum to break in to stop it printing a situation where you couldn't get a quorum. I'm t- man, this circular kind of thing you see this in programming. Now, I'm not a programmer, but I do hang, I have, I, I, I play one on TV and I have real friends that are programmers. But, I, I, but in my experience, because I have programmed a little bit, one of the very first things that you learn about is the dangers of a, an unending cycle where you call a function that calls upon itself. And when you do that, you basically lock everything up. 
you're never going to get into that thing. And it's just going to, it's either going to crash the whole system or somehow or another, the system is going, the CPU is going to identify that it's in an ever loving loop and we'll just kick your ass out. That's what's happening here. So let's go on with this. A vote to lower the barrier to entry for passing protocols on Uniswap's governance mechanism failed to get enough votes. Why? In part because the barrier to entry was too high. The vote almost passed, however, to approve the measure Uniswap's users staked 39,596,759 tokens, that's a lot of nines, in favor of the motion, just shy of the 40 million Uni tokens it needed for approval. Users staked 696,857 tokens against it. The proposal aimed to reduce the number, number of tokens necessary to pass votes from 40 million Uni to 30 million Uni, and reduce the number of tokens required to make proposals from 10 million uni to 3 million uni. Most of the uni in favor of the proposal came from Dharma, the company that put forward the motion. Oh, good God. <clears throat> and Gauntlet, the company that supported Dharma in its proposal. Quote, <clears throat> a disappointing outcome <clears throat> that demonstrates the impetus for the proposal in the first place, said Nav Hollander, or Nadav Hollander, Co-founder and CEO of Dharma in a tweet today on October the 10th, shortly after the proposing or proposing the vote, Hollander tweeted that the status quo is the one outcome we're sour on. Hollander said that the outcome is nevertheless healthy for Uniswap because his proposal caused Uniswap's community to increase the number of tokens they could stake for voting by 57% from 47 million uni, uni to 74 million uni. It is unclear whether these tokens were staked to quash or support a similar vote should Dharma suppose, uh, propose the same thing again. The vote caused controversy with uni within Uniswap's fledgling government. Oh, God. Oh, government. Jesus, it's bad enough when you guys use the term governance. Now you're just going full on, huh? Okay. The protocol only switched on its governance mechanism last month. Dharma also wants to use Uniswap's treasury funds to airdrop Uni to its own users, as well as users of a handful of other apps that integrate Uniswap. Dharma and others claim that they are entitled to last month's Uniswap airdrop, which rewarded all of the protocol's users a few thousand dollars worth of the Uni token. Oh, this is terrible. When Dharma proposed to lower the barrier to entry, the number of Uni tokens eligible for use as voting chips was low enough that, if its proposal passed, Dharma and Gauntlet could have steamrolled the network into accepting whatever proposal it wanted. After its proposal, users made more uni eligible for voting, thus squashing concerns that Dharma could control the network. Yeah, you quashed it right now, but this is this, somebody is going to get control of that network because of staking. That's why we do proof of work. This is why we Bitcoin, so that we can avoid all this bullshit. Because Dharma is going to end up with control of this network. And if not them, then it's going to be Dharma and Gauntlet together are going to, are, are somehow or another, they're going to gain control of this fucking thing because that's what they want. And because proof of stake allows a very large surface of attack, they're going to get it. Okay. They didn't get it this time, but I guarantee you they're going to get it. This is ridiculous. My advice, stay as far away from Uniswap. DeFi in any of those, any of that type of shit coinery as you can. Don't spend any money on it. Please, for the love of God, don't spend any money on it. FinCEN penalizes Bitcoin mixer for anti-money laundering violations. This is actually kind of scary. 
<clears throat> Nick Chong is writing this for BTC Times on October the 20th, which would be this morning. Court documents released on October the 19th indicate that the United States Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, a branch of the United States Treasury, thugs, is penalizing Larry Dean Harmon for Bank Secrecy Act and anti-money laundering law violations. These two are, uh, this is me talking, these two are the worst you can get, man. Okay? The, the Bank Secrecy Act by itself, that's like draconian. That's draconian, like... If you've ever seen the movie Brazil, and if you haven't, I you, what the hell are you doing? You that movie is a must see movie. Okay, it's like 1984, but done with a Monty Python flair. And if okay, because one of the guys from Monty Python actually did the movie, I'm just saying you need to see that movie to see what draconian looks like. Okay, the Bank Secrecy Act is. As draconian as it gets, that and the travel rule, but they all work together. But be that as it may, let's go on here. <clears throat> Harmon, based in Ohio, according to the document, is the operator of two Bitcoin mixer services, Helix and Coin Ninja. Mixers are services and software that, as the name suggests, mix unspent transaction outputs in order to obfuscate their origin and thereby provide enhanced privacy to senders and receivers. FinCEN is asking for Harmon to pay a $60 million civil money penalty as his mixers are in violation of the Bank Secrecy Act and its implementing regulations. Quote, or rather not quote. Continuing, the Bank Secrecy Act is a requirement of U.S.-based financial institutions to report transactions and provide certain information to prevent money laundering. FinCEN alleges that Harmon ran Helix and Coin Ninja as unregistered money services businesses. He is thus being prosecuted in the United States District Court for the District of Columbia on charges of conspiracy to launder monetary instruments and the operation of an unlicensed money transmitting service. The regulator uh, stated in 2013 and 2019 statements that any U.S. exchangers of virtual currency are money transmitters are supposed to abide by the BSA, the Bank Secrecy Act. Mixers fit into that category. Over the six years that Harmon was operating the mixers, at least, we'll see, 1,225,000 transactions were conducted that amounted to $311 million worth of Bitcoin transferred, FinCEN writes. The regulator suggests that users of the mixers included narcotics traffickers, counterfeiters, and fraudsters, as well as other criminals. You could kill half the population of the world and not get rid of criminals. Criminals is part of the human condition. That doesn't make it good. But when you start making legislation that says if, if at least one criminal used some service, I mean, what are you going to do? Shut down all the 7-Elevens because somebody who just robbed a fucking store went into a 7-Eleven and got a Coke? You serviced a criminal. You should be dead. See, this is, this is weird. This has nothing at all to do with stopping criminality. This has everything to do with control. Please understand that. But... FinCEN worked with the United States Department of Justice, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Internal Revenue Service Criminal Investigation Division on the operation. The Coin Ninja domain has likely been seized by the government. This is the latest in a string of moves against Bitcoin mixers and related technologies such as privacy-enhanced cryptocurrencies. The BTC Times reported earlier this month that the European Union's Europol, a supranational law enforcement agency, released a report on internet crime that highlighted mixers as a technology to watch. Europol specifically highlighted privacy-enhanced wallet services using CoinJoin, 
concepts, for example, Wasabi and Samurai wallets, along with centralized mixer services, Harman's Helix and Coin Ninja platforms would fall into the latter category. A key difference between Coin Ninja and CoinJoin, however, is that the former is a centralized service while the latter is decentralized technology that users can build around. The U.S. is also taking issue with other privacy-enhancing solutions on top of Bitcoin. The United States Internal Revenue Services is paying developers hundreds of thousands of dollars to develop systems to de-anonymize the Lightning Network, along with cryptocurrency obfuscation technologies. Those that successfully provide software to do so will be granted $675,000. Yeah, it's a pretty cheap price to lay your soul on the fire of fucking hell. Anybody who actually does that successfully, I hope you burn for it. I hope you burn. The Department of Justice also released its own cryptocurrency enforcement framework that highlighted mixers as a threat in a similar manner to Europol. Jake Chernevsky, or sorry, Shervinsky, a cryptocurrency-focused lawyer, believes that these efforts are part of a concerted effort by regulators to wage war on Bitcoin self-custody and privacy. Quote, I fear we're heading for a world where withdrawing crypto from exchanges to self-custody is restricted as a means of attacking privacy. We'd have two separate crypto markets, one of clean custodial coins and another of dirty self-sovereign ones with no bridge in between. War's coming. We just don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but Jake's probably probably fairly correct in this, uh, in the way that he's looking at this. So be prepared. I, I guess this means that you know, get like it, right now they're going after exchanges. <clears throat> what about Swan Bitcoin, River Financial, and Square? It's going to be really difficult going after Square. But you know, are they next? Because those aren't necessarily exchanges, right? So if I'm stacking Sats with with Swan, you know, will would a time come about where I wouldn't be able to get my stuff off of Swan? So like guy, you know, now Guy Swan, uh, I think it's pretty sure it's him. He's got it to where it auto withdraws. He not only does he auto stack, but he auto withdraws to a uh, to cold storage. So, <clears throat> you know, once my cold card comes in, I'm going to be doing that as well. I have a ledger. I could pro- I could do it that way, but I don't like ledger anymore. I don't like using them. So I'm just going to go with cold card because I. The whole idea of having to plug my shit into my computer to do a transaction gives me the freaking willies nowadays. So cold card it is for me, unless you've got another, you know, another suggestion. My DMs are open. Feel free to, you know, let me know what you think. Mistake cost user $1.1 million in Aave. A decentralized finance user effectively got wrecked. Okay, this is Liam Frost writing October the 19th for Decrypt.co. Says crypto enthusiasts have discovered an erroneous transaction of 28,000 tokens from decentralized finance project Aave, worth roughly $1.1 million today that resulted in their irreversible loss due to a wrong receiver's address. Damn, that's some wrecked ass shit right there, bro. According to Etherscan, the transfer took place on October the 3rd, but remained largely unnoticed until today. It was discovered by Token Ops, a service that tracks ERC-20 tokens sent to the ERC-20 token address itself, after which it's impossible to extract them. For some reason, the sender of 28,000 Aave didn't take into account that they were transferring tokens not to their own wallet, 
but to the address of the Ave token smart contract. As a result, more than $1 million of digital assets got permanently locked on the blockchain. Quote, the key here being that Ave was transferred to the address of the contract itself and not another account, explained Chase Wright, enterprise architect at the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. Quote, it would be like mailing a letter to the post office address instead of the address you wanted to send it to, only there is no, quote, return to sender option. Oh, According to TokenOps, similar erroneous transactions frequently occur. However, they usually amount to no more than a few thousand or a few hundred dollars. Not all such transactions are made in error, though. Some people deliberately send small amounts of tokens to inactive or inaccessible addresses, such as the Bitcoin Genesis block address, sacrificing them as a tribute or statement. While DeFi is on the rise lately, its potentially high yields are often fraught with even greater risks. For example, while launching its token swap service, Crypto.com has recently stressed the dangers of DeFi assets, naming partial or total loss of virtual assets and collapse in liquidity with respect to virtual assets among the many things that could go wrong. It looks like user error should also be near the top of DeFi's risk list. All may not be lost for the luckless Aave holder. However, a number of members of the Aave community have contributed to a thread in the project's governance forum, suggesting that a formal proposal be made to restore the funds to the user in question. That last part, that last part is why I Bitcoin. This, this is what, not only did Ethereum enable nothing but scams to occur on their platform, the reason it's so easy to scam, or one of the reasons it's so easy to scam, is because it's so easy to reverse shit. There is nothing immutable about Ethereum or any of the garbage, any of the char, uh, garbage children that it uh, has progenerated. There, I mean, all the every ERC twenty token is going to carry the base characteristics of Ethereum, and one of the base characteristics of Ethereum is the ability to roll back the whole fucking chain. And you just, if somebody gets too pissed off and they have too much power. You're going to roll back the chain. We saw that with the, uh, uh, what was it? The Dow hack. I, they got like, they got hosed on the Dow contract and they just rolled it back and birthed Ethereum classic as a fork. I mean, they didn't want that part to happen, but that's exactly what happened because there was a group of people who said, this is, this is all kinds of wrong. All right. So because Ethereum, the whole base structure allows that then the entirety of the base structure of anything that comes from that is going to carry that characteristics. In biology, we call that shit genetics. And it's not, it's not easy to get that out. Once you've got a mutation that allows bullshit, your bullshit mutation is going to come along for the ride with every child you have, okay? So, now, <clears throat> here we have a little bit more about a Filecoin. This is going to be interesting juxtaposed to how I started the show. Filecoin categorically denies any mining crisis. Adriana Homaker is writing this one for Decrypt.co yesterday, but lay, uh, earlier than the thread that I read. Okay, just never. let's just get into it. Decentralized storage network Filecoin launched last week amid much excitement, but less than 24 hours later, reports surfaced of minor unrest. And Filecoin's token FIL has since plummeted 25%. <laughs> More than that. 
The much-anticipated project uh, presents an alternative to centralized storage providers such as AWS, but Chinese crypto site 8BTC has claimed that five of the largest mining pools have thrown in the towel since Filecoin launched on Thursday, and there's talk of them potentially forking the network. Critics claim that the project's economic model provides little incentive to mine the cryptocurrency. So Filecoin founder Juan Bennett, I hate to even share a name with this guy, today strenuously pushed back against the reports. We, 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 we didn't do it. That's basically the gist of his tweet. The company said that they know of no big miners that have exited its blockchain. Quote, we're confident that miners are very favorably incentivized to participate in the network. Ian Darrow, head of operations at Filecoin, told Decrypt. We don't know of any miners who have gone offline, he said. The company also issued a detailed report earlier today attempting to rebut criticism and offered new loan programs to help any miners that need support. Protocol Labs, which oversees Filecoin, is working with a partner to be announced to provide small loans to miners from now until broader loan markets take off. More of, more on this during the week, Bennett tweeted today. Uh, during the disputing reports that miners are quitting the network, Darrow said that miners are still providing storage capacity with an additional two pepibytes, P-E-B-I-B-Y-T-E-S, or P-I-B, added in the past three hours alone. One peb, pepibyte is equivalent to approximately a million gigabytes. Okay, whatever. Not one large miner has said they are going to stop mining. In fact, the network continues to grow rapidly. Oh, yeah, this is a statement he's making. And just crossed 600 B, uh, PIB today, Darrow said. Some miners who have been working on the project for months or years before the launch are indeed choosing to sell fill they mine instead of reinvesting it. We don't know what sorts of financial obligations these miners might have. What, selling their test net coins? <laughs> they may have taken out loans that are due or be getting pressured by investors to pay dividends. Ultimately, we totally respect miners' choices on how they manage their cash flow. <clears throat> Selling testnet. <clears throat> However, 8BTC.com quoted Lai Chaohong, who is a prominent in China's Filecoin community and chairs technology startup SpaceCloud, as saying that miners were helpless. No one has money to continue, he claimed. Filecoin's economic model means that successful miners are rewarded with tokens each day for 180 days. However, the miners must provide FIL, or Filecoin, as collateral, ensuring that their commitment is honored. Filecoin has created a lockup that mandates investors to hold on to file, or fill, whatever, I want to pronounce it, for at least six months after the mainnet launch. An anonymous Twitter user, Nico Diva, posted a long thread with detailed criticism on the model on Sunday. Quote, here in China, people are disgusted, and he's got the Chinese symbol for nausea. This is the word repeated, he tweeted. A napkin calculation shows, shows you early on that your mining system that requires $20,000 in hardware also forces you to buy more coins. In a country where Ponzinomics is an art, the 2017 poster boy just blew it. In his tweet storm today, Bennett posted or pointed out that it has tried for weeks to get ahead of miners' concerns by making 25% of token rewards available for withdrawal immediately after a block is successfully created. Following launch, we saw some miners choose to sell some Filecoin, and this is totally understandable. Miners have been working with no cash flow for years, and it's not surprising that they want to de-risk slightly before continuing, Darrow said. But he added that few miners were selling all of the fill they generated and most are reinvesting, quote, the net result of which is continued growth of the network. So there we go. 
we really need to juxtapose that against how I opened what I opened the show with. Testnet coins of file being sold on mainnet, or rather as mainnet coins on uh, exchanges, actual exchanges too, exchanges with real liquidity, not Bob's backyard bullshit exchange. No, Wobi, right? Testnet coins. The testnet coins look like they have been sold, which probably kicked all this off. We'll have to wait to make sure that we understand that this is, in fact, either indeed the case or is indeed not the case. But if it is, oh, oh boy, let's run the numbers. Oil is up. Yay. Well, it's up a third of a point. Brent North Sea is actually down a scant, like 0.14%. Uh, natural gas doing its weird thing where it's up like 3.5, yeah, 3.5% to the upside. Gold is down scant uh, 0.18. Silver is down 0.05. Platinum is down 0.3. Copper, however, is up a point and a quarter. We have the indices looking all like they're going to be in the positive. Of course, they kind of look like they were all slightly in the positive yesterday. And what happened? The Dow fell by like, what, 480 points? <laughs> Let's see what the Dow is not going to do today. It appears that its futures are going to open 0.7% uh, up to the upside uh, S&P futures are going to be opening 0.72, NASDAQ futures opening up 0.66, and the S&P mini is going to be open up a full, almost a full point. But, you know, that's not the point. The point is real money, and here we go. One BTC is standing at a price at $11,850. I got a high over a bit asset at $11,902. And is where's my low? Nope, the 851 actually is my low. Everything else is like 880, 889, 895, 878, and then 902. So there you go. 332 transactions, 322,000 transactions have been performed in the last 24 hours. That's 14,000 transactions on average per hour with good, geez, holy shit. 3.38 million BTC have been sent in that last 24 hours with 141,000 BTC being sent on average per hour. 10.18 BTC is the average transaction value and 0.05 BTC is the median transaction value. That's about 600 bucks. Block times are close to normal, nine minutes and 48 seconds. We have 0.4 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 58.7 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Uh, hash rate has increased to 131.1 exahashes per second. That represents a 7.67% jump to the upside. Ethereum is at 376. Bcash at 246. Litecoin at 47 and a third. BSV, just whatever. Ethereum Classic is at five and a quarter. Dogecoin is at 0 0.0026. 42,000 transactions in the last 24 hours on Dogecoin Network. Puts it ahead of Ethereum Classic and Bcash. But again, Litecoin, 102,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who's transacting on Litecoin, but it's kind of interesting to see, I guess. It's still a shitcoin. I like Charlie Lee, but dude, Litecoin's a shitcoin. 
All right, uh, let's see. We have 17,500 transactions chilling out, waiting to clear. That will take about nine blocks to clear those transactions out. We have um, one, oh, wait a minute. What's the price? Oh, Clark Moody is looking at 11,804. So he's got, damn, he's got a really low number over there. Well, I wonder what number he's, I wonder what exchange he's looking at. Anyway, it doesn't matter because it's going to get $1 is going to get you 8,472 Satoshis. We have 1,055 Bitcoin in the Lightning Network, and that's $12.5 million worth of liquidity. That's sloshing around 7,535 nodes, representing 36,189 channels. Uh, Tor capacity is back over 50%. So the Tor side of the Lightning Network is at 50.1% right now. That's 528.58 BTC in that side of the network, and that is over 2,478 nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Hey, remember how we were reading that story about the United States government, like FBI and CIA kind of wanting to get in and, and uh, deliver some blows against Bitcoin's privacy? Honestly, this is why I, I don't worry all that much about it. I mean, I don't not ever not think about it because it's there. So, you know, it's probably important to think about, but I don't freak out about it. I don't cry and wail about it. And there's a good reason why I don't do that. And Ricardo Spagni is going to tell us all about it. That would also be Fluffy Pony, by the way. And yeah, he gets a lot of shit as being one of the creators, I guess guess of Monero. I'm not sure. He said he didn't. I don't know. There's some confusion there, but Fluffy Pony's sort of like the Monero guy. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly what his affiliation looks like because again, it's all confusing. However, he's got something to say about cryptography that I think is going to be fairly important for everybody. <clears throat> this was written by Amkar Godbol. Great name from Coindesk. Cryptographers are always going to be one step ahead of regulators, says Monero's Spagni. While regulators are trying to restrict privacy in crypto, their efforts may be futile, according to a guy named Fluffy Pony. <laughs> the United States Internal Revenue Service wants the same level of insight into Monero as they have over digital dollars and bank accounts. However, cryptographers and researchers are always going to be one step ahead on privacy, Spagni told Coindesk. Launched in April uh, 2014, Monero is a private, secure, and untraceable currency. The protocol allows transaction participants to obfuscate their identities and hide the amounts transferred from third parties, except for those that they designate. Mm, protocols offering privacy have become the focal point of regulators and law enforcement agencies when the race among central banks to launch sovereign digital currencies is heating up. The IRS recently hired blockchain analytics firm Chainalysis and Integra FEC to develop transaction tracing tools for Monero and Layer 2 protocols. In June, Chainalysis added support for monitoring transactions for privacy coins Dash and Zcash. Dash is a bullshit currency, by the way. Don't have anything to do with that. <clears throat> Further, the United States Department of Justice published an extensive white paper, quote, cryptocurrency, an enforcement framework, end quote, on October the 8th. Citing the use of anonymity enhancing, crypto, enhancing cryptocurrencies, or AECs, that use non-public or private blockchains as a risk to anti-money laundering programs and controls put in place to combat 
terrorism-related finance. According to Spagny, who is the lead maintainer of Monero until he stepped down last year, regulators' best bet is to apply controls at entry and exit points. Quote, payment service providers and merchant service providers are sorts of the points at which they can apply a degree of regulation, and that, I think, is feasible. For instance, a payment gateway facilitating Monero or Lightning transactions could ask users to verify location and charge sales tax. Uh, Similarly, if the user is dealing directly with a merchant service provider, the merchant would employ necessary checks before approving transactions. Besides, even if regulators succeed in developing some traceability solutions, Monero is likely to fix the bugs, retaining privacy over the long run, according to one analyst. Quote, untraceable cryptocurrencies such as Monero are here to stay, Dr. Tom Robinson, co-founder and chief economist of blockchain analytics firm Liptic, told Coindesk in an email, quote, in the short term, it may well be possible to find exploits in these systems and trace transactions to some degree, but these bugs will be fixed, <clears throat> end quote. <clears throat> Over the weekend, Monero implemented an upgrade codenamed Oxygen Orion, which includes a new ring signatures feature called Compact Linkable Spontaneous Anonymous Group, or CLASLAG. Clusag, C-L-S-A-G, whatever. Oh my God, guys, stop. That is expected to reduce transaction size by 25% and improving transaction verification times by 10% and boost security, an ideal world solution that limits backdoor entry into privacy protocols for regulators and law enforcement looks out of reach. Quote, a system of controlled access would be fantastic. However, the thinking though not bad is just flawed, Spagney said, adding that both well-meaning people and hackers could abuse the system. All right, so honestly, that's what what I what we're getting at here. I'm not going to read the rest of the article because it's just it gets a little bit technical, and we don't need that for for the news. Now, while this is talking about Monero, I like I I like Spagny. I I do. I like him as a person, but Monero's a shitcoin. There's no there's nothing about Monero that can't be done somewhere in the ecosystem of Bitcoin. So, but what Spagny is getting at here is that it's not like people that are working on these protocols are just going to lay down and die. I mean, nobody asked permission to create it. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of people asking permission to improve upon it. And I think there's going to be even less people asking permission to maintain it. Right. That goes for Bitcoin too. And Bitcoin probably more than anything else because it's got the most network effect. It's been around the longest. It's got the most value. Everything else is basically a shit coin or a scam coin. There's no reason to, to, to worry about any of those. However, if we're worried about regulators putting the kibosh on something like Bitcoin, as I was <clears throat> pointing, demonstrating to my sister who is in town, um, I showed her what a full note actually looks like and described to her in very brief, brief and huge brushstrokes what the full node does. And even she, I mean, she gets it and she's, she's not up on this. She does not have the time to study this shit. There's a lot of people that don't, by the way, which means not, this is why education is important in the space, but also quick education, education that's solid, that gets people like, you know, started off on the right foot quickly. That, we could use a little bit more of that, but be that as it may, 
I'm like, look, showing her this thing that, that I can hold in the palm of my hand that has every fucking transaction ever conducted on Bitcoin since January 3rd, 2009. And all of a sudden it become, it just, it became clear. I'm like, dude, I can take one of these and I, as long as it's getting power, I can give it a Wi-Fi uh, hat top or whatever you call those, an expansion card and or put a Wi-Fi antenna on that son of a bitch and just, I don't know, shove it into a, uh, like a, what do they call those? An electric box. Like if you put a wall socket into your house, there's the casing that goes, that, that actually covers that. It keeps it safe from, you know, sparking, you know, fires in your insulation or whatever. It's called the electrical box. But instead of actually putting an electrical socket in there, you keep it empty. It, it looks to me like it would actually hold a terabyte hard drive and a Raspberry Pi 4 and then you can put like a small fan on it and cut out a hole. And as long as you got power going to that and a Wi-Fi antenna, you could sheetrock over the hole and nobody would be the wiser unless they came in with an electronic scanner and they literally know exactly what it is they're looking for. I do think it's time to start thinking about covert full node running, not just running them out in the open. I think it's time to start thinking about guerrilla attachment of full nodes to systems that... <clears throat> Yeah, you'd be sacrificing 200 bucks. But I mean, if you work at a university and somehow or another, you can like escape the detection on their network and you probably could because the packet size is so freaking low. It's not going to set off any of the, you know, algorithmic alarms. Like somebody's like downloading a shit ton of, you know, high definition movies across the network. Um, and just like tuck it behind your work computer. Yeah, I know. If, they, if you get caught, you can get fired. But I'm like, how, you know, what are you willing to do for self-sovereignty. I mean, if we're just going to be continue to be slaves, then you don't need to be part of the network. Just saying. Okay. I'm just saying. So moving on, um, moving on the clo oh, closing time. We're going to talk a little bit more about room 77 because the owner has been interviewed as to what the hell's going on here. <clears throat> it is closing time for Bitcoin's iconic room 77. And that's okay. Says the owner, Colin Harper, is writing this for Coindesk.com. Tucked away on a quiet street in Berlin's Kreuzberg district, Room 77 had the look of your typical dive bar until you paid attention to the details. If you did, you'd notice a grungy scene was punctuated with cypherpunk paraphernalia. One brick wall overlooking a row of booths was populated by portraits of Ross Ulbricht, Edward Snowden, and Julian Assange. Adjacent to these crypto anarchy icons, a currency burner, which does exactly what you think it does, sat where an arcade game might have in any other bar. Above the register at a bar with five or so seats was a friendly reminder to its clientele to stop paying from Coinbase, Gemini, and Bitstamp, and other such cryptocurrency exchanges. And of course, the biggest tell was that this bar was different <clears throat> next to the, or sorry, and of course, the biggest tell that this bar was different next to the chalked up menu framing the entrance, right smack next to its advert for the best effing burger in town, a bright orange neon orb glowed in the window emblazoned with the letter B. <laughs> Room 77, so named for the house's street number. Okay, so that mystery solved. Was a place of legendary significance among Bitcoiners as the first venue in the world to accept Bitcoin as payment in 2011. Adorned by an eclectic array of couches, booths, barstools, and love seats for lounging, the snug joint was the San Remo of the European Bitcoin scene, frequented for meetups, conference drink-ups, and the like for Bitcoiners from Germany and abroad. <clears throat> it weathered two bear markets 
But with a nightlife economy suffocated by COVID-19, its management has decided that its time has come and the bar is closing down. And that's okay. Jorg Platzer told Coindesk over DM, punctuating the reply with a smile emoticon. Room 77's owner isn't too torn up about the bar's closure. After all, Platzer, a self-described early cypherpunk who co-runs an augmented reality venture and also works as a consultant, always treated Room 77 like a fun side project, one that started well before Satoshi Nakamoto had even drafted Bitcoin and was meant to close down before the cryptocurrency launched. We opened it 15 years ago as a fun project because it was dirt cheap to do so back then in the rundown neighborhood and it was possible to have loud and wild parties, Platzer said. We thought we'd run it for a year, maybe two. But then the bar blew up. Eventually, it ranked as one of the top five nightlife destinations in Berlin, Platzer said. Then Bitcoin came along and the... Bacchanalian Brick Shack doubled as a hotspot for Bitcoin's earliest acolytes around this time. With Bitcoin only a few years old, Room 77 was perhaps the only place in the world where tinkers could set up shop and test point-of-sale software. It was certainly the only place where enthusiasts could buy a pint of beer with their Bitcoin. Room 77 became known as the Bitcoin Bar and the Dive, now open four or so years longer than its owner originally anticipated, had another reason to stay open. In the early days, it was because they were killing it. As the 2010s were underway, it was because the place had become an intellectual and cultural bulwark for a burgeoning community. Jeff Gallus, the man who paid for the world's first Bitcoin beer, remembers it as a place for many Bitcoin firsts, from Bitcoiners meeting in real life for the first time to introduce Bitcoin to an international audience. Room 77 manifested Bitcoin culture. Room 77 was a very unique place. Not only did it provide many Bitcoiners with beers and burgers, for many their first purchase with the magic internet money in real life, but it also provided tons of mental nourishment for a whole generation of Bitcoiners. Countless ideas were born here, some drowned again in rum and whiskey, but many made it through the boozy nights, Gallus told Coindesk. Since Platzer first served Gallus, that pilsner for Bitcoin, in May of 2011. The bar's significance among Bitcoiners has only grown. It hosted Germany's first Bitcoin ATM and its longest-running Bitcoin meetup. On the nights of Bitcoin conferences in Berlin, Room 77, Janist Identities, Grungy Nightclub, and Bitcoin Lodestone fused into one. As the bar became a swimming mass of bodies, hopped up on beer and the future of money. Unfortunately, the same essence... The sweaty, jam-packed, who's that brushing against me nightclub vibe is why Room 77 can't survive nightlife in a time of COVID-19 under Germany's rules, Platzer told Coindesk. He decided to suspend the bar's operations on March the 7th, a couple of weeks before Germany would be would make closing all bars and restaurants mandatory. With no end to COVID-19's new normal in sight, Platzer made the decision recently to shutter the bar for good. Quote, COVID will make it impossible to run a place like that, at least throughout 2021. If you ever were at one of our meetups, you know how absolutely impossible it is to try to keep people socially distanced, he said. Besides slashing the bar's revenue, abiding by the rules would take away the magic of the place and wouldn't be very cypherpunk anyway. What's more, the neighborhood is a lot nicer than when Platzer opened the dive in 2005. Gentrification's grip is tightening. And the building Room 77 sits in is due for renovations, Platzer said, which would send the bar's rent up like crazy. So now it's time for the bar to move on. It did its thing for Bitcoin when Bitcoin needed it, as Platzer put it. 
that time was when Bitcoin was trading at $1. Now, <clears throat> one Bitcoin is worth 11800 In Platzer's own words, it is clear by now that nobody will stop Bitcoin anymore. So as Room 77 ends, at least it's going out on a high note at a time when Bitcoin is enjoying more public attention than ever. Okay, that's the end of the article, but I believe that it should not be the end of Room 77. So I'm putting this out there to the owner. Mr. Platzer. If you would be so kind as to release any obligations or encumbrances that you have placed upon the name Room 77 and enable Bitcoiners all over the world to franchise the living shit out of Room 77 as a bar and nightclub, and you give your burger recipe over so that the, the best effing burger in Berlin can then be replicated in places like Paris, New York, L.A., uh, you know, well, I'm, I've, I've said big name cities, and as you know, I'm not a fan of big cities right now. Um, but all over the world, college towns, maybe. Maybe this is, may, that's, what I, that's what I would do is like find, find college towns, open up a Bar 77, have it be a franchise, have it, have it be a brand that was, is forever going to be linked with Bitcoin. Free Room 77, Mr. Platzer if you have any such encumbrances on trademarks, copyrights, things like that, <clears throat> let's figure out, let's figure out a way to bring 77 room 77, not only back from the dead and not as a zombie, but as a living, breathing resurrection of that, which has come before. I mean, why not? Well, you know, honestly, not, clearly not right now, you know, I'm saying, you know, especially COVID gives, you know, gives some time for planning and whatnot. But one of these days, this bullshit is going to end. Either people are going to get tired of the bullshit and just start ripping off their masks, or they're going to renege and finally figure out that it's not doing as much damage as people actually thought. I mean, deaths on COVID are almost non-existent. And, and the only number that anybody can point at is, look at the number of cases. Well, we're not going to be looking at the number of cases. Um, let's move on here. R3 Corded Network is set to go DeFi with XDC digital currency. Jesus. Hey, okay, so all I'm going to say about this is that R3 Corda is that R3 has been around for a long time. I think they got in the year, I think R3 started their instantiation of life the year, maybe the year, uh, a year before or the year of I got into Bitcoin in 2015 uh, populated by some of the worst characters, uh, some of the worst characters in, in crypto, specifically people who, who hate and have tried to attack Bitcoin on several occasions. They never really did anything. It was supposed to be some kind of consortium with a bunch of bankers. And they kept seeming like almost like, you know, Brad Garlinghouse talking about all the banks that they've got in their pockets. R3 did, R3 was the ripple of like 2016. In 2015, and they and if you haven't heard of them, it's probably because they were, have been so ridiculously dead for so long. But anyway, the only way that they can resurrect their name at this point is to go into DeFi. That should tell you everything you need to know about what DeFi is. It's bullshit, and they're already too late to the game because we're already seeing decreasing heavily decreasing and declining liquidity, volume, transactions, all kinds of shit on the DeFi networks. I, it, it, it's flash in the pan, dude. Flash in the pan. 
Telecom's protocol from 1975 has been exploited to target 20 crypto executives. <laughs> Cointelegraph Samuel Haig has got this one. <clears throat> Hackers compromised Telegram Messenger and email accounts of multiple cryptocurrency executives last month by exploiting a vul vulnerability in a decades-old protocol. The fraudsters are believed to have been trying to intercept two-factor auth codes of victims in an attack on Israel-based Israel communications provider partner communications company formerly known as Orange Israel. Oh, isn't that interesting? The attacks are currently being investigated by National Cybersecurity Authority and Mossad, according to cybersecurity politician or publication Bleeping Computer. The devices of at least 20 partner communication companies subscribers were compromised. Israel-based cybersecurity firm Pandora Securities announces the event suggests that the devices were likely breached via a signaling system 7 attack. SS7 compromises a set of protocols that are used to facilitate the exchange of information within public switch telephone networks interacting over digital signaling networks. Okay, so it's from 1975. They, these people bring this thing out of mothballs to attack people. So be aware that's not going to be the last, the last attack using, you know, that 70s show. Okay. Just saying. So be very careful out there. <clears throat> Bitcoin price holds strong and big ne negative news blitz says coin shares report. Benjamin Prius is writing it, but I'm not going to be reading it because we're getting a little long here, but just be aware the price is held firm against KuCoin suffering a major hack on September the 26th. Not one, but two United States regulatory bodies going after BitMEX on October the 1st. The UK's Financial Conduct Authority banning crypto derivatives on October the 6th. And news coming to light that the United States stimulus payment talks has stalled around October the 9th. All of that has not seemed to do a damn thing to Bitcoin. You should keep that in mind. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. The Daily Train Wreck brought to you by Andrew Bailey, who has an opinion piece in MoneyWeek.com and says the Bank of England should create a bit pound digital currency and take the world by storm. Just how naked the unimaginative, the, the, the inimagination of these people is stunning. That's all you got. You, you got to steal a brand from somebody, from another, you know, another money that was created in the dark and launched, you know, like basically with little or no fanfare. I, this is what, this is what you got for us. Dude, I expected more out of Bank of England. Although it's not really out of Bank of England. It's, oh, I'm sorry. It's not Andrew Bailey. He's the governor of the Bank of England. Now, this is an opinion piece written by a guy named Matthew Lynn. So it's not the bankers that are unimaginative, although I suspect that they're more unimaginative than we give them, you know, give them credit for. But the people that are the mouthpieces for the system and the state, which are just as important as the people who execute shit within the state, are this un Matthew has proven himself to be unimaginative. The bit pound, really, the bit pound. Hell, even even uh, 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 Matt Center 
oh, from uh, uh, Lolly.com has a better name, the Brit Pound. That works better. Hell, that's actually imaginative. And it came out of somebody not from the, not from the rule of the crown. Anyway, good job, Matt, for coming up with Brit Pound. That's pretty, that's pretty freaking awesome. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile in the corner. And we're just going to go ahead and skip right on over into the joke for the day, which is brought to you not by Dad Says Jokes, but from, uh, let's see, who gave this to me? At Nemist2, N-E-M-I-S-I-S-T, and the number two says, The next time your wife gets angry, drape a towel over her shoulders like a cape and exclaim, Now you're super angry. Maybe she'll laugh. Maybe you'll die. But either way, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.